Hello and welcome to the Ending Body Burnout Show. We are your hosts, Chris and Philly, co-founders of a multi-award winning functional medicine practice, serving busy people with energy, mood and gut issues. While busyness, addictive doing, people pleasing and perfectionism might be the norm, it's not normal and it's a major contributor to health issues. Our goal with this show is to give you a holistic root, root cause approach to healing your body so that you don't have to continue doctor or diet hopping or popping a gazillion supplements hoping something might stick so get ready to heal your body get your spark back deeply connect with yourself and step into the life of your dreams let's Let's dive dive in. in Hello, we are so excited to share this potty today. So Chris and I, this is Philly, just had a conversation with Dr. Jody Richardson to talk about all things anxiety. So anxiety is a very com- common symptom we see in those with body burnout. It's very intermingled with mood issues and our physiology affects our psychology and vice versa. And so we were really excited to get Dr. Jody onto our show to pick her brains about both her personal and professional experience with ending the struggle with anxiety. So you're going to love this conversation. And she's also just the most beautiful and kind and down to earth soul who is not only incredibly intelligent, she's done a PhD around physiology and anxiety, but also just someone that you you can feel really connected to. So Dr. Jody Richardson, um, her official bio, is one of Australia's leaders in managing anxiety and amplifying well-being. She's a professional speaker supporting schools and workplaces and is the best-selling author of Anxious Kids and Anxious Mums. Both of these books have been translated into multiple languages and she's also the award-winning host of the positive media podcast, Well Hello Anxiety. She's the happily married mum of two teenagers, a border collie Dusty and three chickens. So let's dive into today's convo all about anxiety. All right, guys, welcome to this episode. We're super excited to have with us Jody and uh we're going to have a really good conversation today. Uh, why don't we dive on in and and we'll get this one started. Yeah, with our guests, we always love to just get nitty gritty and personal. And I know that you have a pretty incredible story too in terms of how you got into the anxiety space. So are you happy to to share with us why, why, do you, why are you specialising in anxiety? I am. And what I find is a lot of people who sort of hear me talk about or hear anyone talk about their anxiety journey can often really relate because so much of adult anxiety starts in childhood. And so, yes, that was absolutely the case for me. I was a four-year-old off to school back in the late 70s and heading off to school and really excited to begin with, but was in an environment that was quite stressful for my teachers. And the contagious nature of stress kind of really was a difficult experience for me and my little nervous system didn't like it very much. And so for my my four-year-old brain, that was sort of felt quite threatening, obviously. I know all this now. I certainly did not know it then. 
all I knew was that school made me feel sick in the tummy and I would come home from school every day and say, mum, I don't want to go. And I'd wake up in the morning and say, I still don't want to go. Thankfully, she would send me. The anxiety, I guess, that I still live with now at 49 is that that's where it all began. Mm. And it's not, I mean, everybody, everybody has experiences anxiety. Of course, it's very, very normal. And at that stage, it wasn't really getting in the way of my life. And so it, it, it did eventually. Um, I went through high school still with an undiagnosed anxiety disorder, very highly driven, uh, perfectionistic and worked really hard type A, just really wanted to do the very best I could in everything, put a lot of pressure on myself and played a lot of high-level netball and had a lot of trouble breathing. Breathing was a really big uh, symptom for me and I got diagnosed with asthma by my GP. So even the GP didn't really kind of get what was happening. But ultimately my undiagnosed anxiety in my mid-20s culminated in major depressive disorder where my nervous system was basically saying, I cannot do this any longer. And so we're going to go into shutdown. And I have the academic kind of an intellectual uh, understanding of it now, but back then it was just indescribably hard. And I did not care if I didn't wake up the next day. That was just how hopeless and sad and uh, difficult that time of my life was. But it was a turning point because I knew something was wrong when I had depression. I went and sought help and ultimately got diagnosed with chronic anxiety and the depression I moved through and healed from that. And then anxiety still is with me, but I bring it with me wherever I go. (laughs) I don't have much of a choice. (laughs) But, yeah, it's been a real problem in the past. I'm medicated for it, but uh, that just really enables me to use my skills. And so uh, I like to say I thrive with anxiety now. Mm. A lot of what you just said reminds me of my uh, experience as a little girl too. I remember a real pivotal defining moment that is just a searing memory in my mind is first day of kindergarten shutting my door in my bedroom, wearing this blue top with an umbrella and rain falling on it and just crying my little heart out. I'm like, I don't want to go to school. I'm too scared. Um, And I can't remember school actually being that scary, but just the thought of being out into a social environment away from my mum and dad and my siblings was a lot for my nervous system too, which then, you know, it just becomes this snowball over time. It really does. It's that uncertainty. It's that change. It's that I don't know what to expect and 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 it's threatening. It is threatening and, and some of us have nervous systems that are a bit more primed that way. I have a mum who has severe a severe anxiety disorder and it's certainly a genetic, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people and not for everybody but um, I guess like anything in your genes, if there's the situation or the environment or the trigger, mm. uh, then then we can start to experience the challenges that that brings with it. And uh, I guess growing up in a home with a highly anxious parent as well can be challenging as well because you don't necessarily, or even though mum was so beautiful and loving, I adore her and I speak about her with permission. Uh, it, it's, it's tough when you are also whether it's conscious or not, mindful of how somebody else is experiencing life in the house that you live in. Mm. 
with hindsight, with everything that you now know, because we, in our practice and I guess this show as well, we're always digging, 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 digging to the deepest root cause, what actually is causing this or cause this. What do you feel like is the deeper root cause of your anxiety? Well, I've spent a lot of time digging myself, let me tell you. I've had a lot of therapy and I I think for a long time I felt like there has to be something that happened to me. There There must have been an incident. There must have been an event and that's not the case. That's not the case for me. It's for me, it's having inherited the predisposition for anxiety, then growing up in a home with a mum who was highly anxious, quite reactive, and that's really hard for her looking back, really, really hard for her looking back. And then I guess being in that environment at school where I felt that it was, you know, threatening in a way in that just the, the yelling, the tension, the the way the teachers, we, I was in a class with 53, I was in a double prep class with two teachers and so that was really, really tough. They had those, you know, those I mean, old classrooms with the concertina sort of panels, they were always open. And, yeah, so I think it was a combination of uh, the sensitivity to it and temperament as well, of course. There's my, my temperament as a, a sensitive child plays into that. I certainly wasn't shy. That complained to it a lot. That wasn't my case. So, yeah, there are, there are a lot of factors that I think have really contributed. And then I just became very, very aware that uh, over time that my body just didn't feel good. I couldn't breathe. I could sense all of the physical symptoms and the way my body was responding. And so I knew I knew I was having these challenges. I had no idea what was causing it, but the propensity for this cycle of my body feels anxious, I don't know what's wrong, what's wrong with me, driving more anxiety and just stuck in these cycles of worry and anxious physiology for two decades was kind of, I guess, what ultimately brought me to the work I do. There's another two decades between then and now. Mm. (laughs) But, um, yeah, in terms of the absolute root cause, I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, uncover that and ultimately arrived at the fact that it's it's just a combination of contributing factors, um, you know, that have led me to where I am. But I'm so, so grateful now because of the work that I can do to make a difference in other kids and other families' lives because mm. of what I've been through, I suppose. Mm. The, the gift. We yes. always say that your mess is your message. <laughs> oh, well, that's new. I hear me search is research and we, we make work from our wounds. Yeah. But I like that. I like that the most, I think. <laughs> so, okay. So you specialize in, anxi- in anxiety. We hear like a lot of people use the word, I have anxiety. I'm feeling anxious. What's your, what's your definition of, of anxiety? So when I talk about anxiety, I love for people to know that it is, it's the way our brain and our body respond in anticipation of something going wrong or anticipation of a threat. And so I love to talk about the physiology because it's, we, we think about anxiety and we think about 
I need to see a psychologist. I need to work on my thinking. I need to, and of course, it's incredible, incredibly, incredibly powerful. But I think a piece that, that can be overlooked is this idea that we can ground ourselves through our body and that not all anxiety is a disorder. In fact, most is just normal everyday human responses to the uncertainties and the challenges and the opportunities that life throws our way. And so I love for people to know that, yes, anxiety is normal, that there's this continuum at one end, there's the anxiety you're going to feel when you get that phone call from school, you know, when you're not expecting it and you're like, oh, something happened to one of the kids. It's right through to the anxiety that means you can't leave the house. Obviously, that's a big problem. And so I love for people to know that it's completely normal if it's getting in the way of daily functioning, getting out of the house, meeting with friends, going to work, responding as a parent and being able to function well and live well, then yes, absolutely help is needed. But for a lot of us, if we can learn about our physiology, learn about our anxious responses, there's so much that we can do to dial it down and yeah, be able to move forward and do all the things that we want to do and that life asks of us. We don't have to love our anxiety when it comes with us, but acceptance can play a huge part in us just ending the struggle with it and just dropping that rope, like that metaphorical tug of war with anxiety. I'm just like, let go of the rope. Anxiety is going to do its thing. You can do your thing too. Mm. I love that. We we talk about body burnout and ending body burnout and the symptoms that come from that, often energy, mood, gut issues, other inflammatory type issues. When we say that it's not, we do not mean that you are symptom free and health like and like happy all the time, 24-7 for the rest of your life. I mean, that would be lovely, but we're all human and we have this yeah. human experience. So the way you were describing your interpretation of or definition of anxiety makes a lot of sense. That it's purely just the fight flight response from our nervous system. <laughs> yeah. When we feel that there may be danger or uncertainty is often the bigger one. Uncertainty yeah. and sometimes it's real, sometimes it's imagined, but it's still your response to the environment. Um and I I mean I'm someone who had struggled with debilitating anxiety, like to the point of panic attacks and that sort of stuff. Mm. And when I was going through my healing journey, I, initially I had this expectation that, oh, like I think it, I just, I'm, I, when I'm well, I'm going to be free from it all. I'm just going to be healthy and happy. But along the way, I've actually understood that these emotions and these feelings in my body are simply just messages. It's simply messages from the nervous system, the unconscious mind. And when you can learn to communicate to those, then you can actually have a lovely relationship with it. It's actually just keeping you safe, trying to keep you safe. That's right. And I I remember you saying about your first experience and the T-shirt you're wearing. And I think that's it's quite a metaphor, isn't it, really? This this umbrella with with the rain and there's this there's this beautiful meme. It's on my Instagram feed. I might repost it. And it's it's this idea, it's an umbrella with the rain. And underneath it's like there, there's sort of two parts, sort of the left and the right. And on the left it's got the umbrella with the rain. And on the right it's got the umbrella with the rain. Underneath the left umbrella it says, it's raining. It's awful. It's cold. I'm going to get wet. I hate this. I wish it would stop. I don't like this weather. I wish the sun would come out. And 
underneath the other one, it says, yep. <laughs> and I hope people can create a mental picture, but this idea that when, when the rain comes, when we have those emotions, like you say, that are messages that often are there to tell us something really important. And if we can just go, yep, they're here and just have that willingness to listen and take on board the message, it can be so powerful for us in terms of our own personal growth, but also in our experience of what we feel because when we try to stop the rain, to stick with the rainy metaphor, it we we well one we can't, and eventually that it's just things are going to flood when we can experience it. And I'm not obviously telling you anything you don't know, but just this idea that if we can just live with this understanding that if all feelings are welcome, then they will move through. Mm. They will come and they will go like a visitor. They don't hang around forever. Even even joy. I often ask in my presentations. I'll say, "Who's ever experienced joy?" And everyone puts their hand up, and I'll. I'll say, put your hand up now if that joy is still with you. Nobody puts their hand up. And I'm very disappointed because they should be joyful in my company. I say, no. It's like, this is a great presentation. (laughs) Why are you not filled with joy? Um, Just to kind of highlight the idea that no matter what we feel, it comes and it goes, even the good stuff. Mm. Yeah. I really like that. Um, you, You mentioned before, uh, Jody, about grounding physiology. You know, when you when you're feeling when somebody is feeling that anxious physiology, uh, is that what you? That's what you would recommend. Is like some sort of a grounding, like just coming down. Um, would you be able to speak to that and what you mean by that? I would love to, Chris. I would love to. I get really passionate about. Physiology. That's what my PhD was in physiology. Nice. I, just, I love, I just, I get excited because of the opportunity that it brings for people. And so when we feel anxious and our brain has essentially detected a threat and whether that threat is I'm about to do a podcast recording, which I love, I'm super comfy with, <laughs> uh, but for someone else uh, that would be terrifying and my first podcast experience was terrifying. And my amygdala was going, that is like, that's like the alarm is sounding. This is very threatening. Whether you're about to sit down and talk to people on a podcast, which is not life-threatening, or you nearly get hit by a car, the brain and the body will respond in the same way. It's just, it's pretty much an all or nothing response when that threat is detected. And most of the time, thankfully, we're safe. And it, it's an opportunity. It's a challenge. Uh, it's something that's stretching us in our comfort zone. The alarm will sound in our brain and our body will respond because our body is like, if it's threatening, I either need to punch its lights out, beat it up, fight it or flee. We usually will flee first. If we can't, we'll fight. Sometimes we freeze. And so for us to be able to fight the threat or run fast, so much has to happen in our physiology to enable us to be powerful in those moments. and. So that's why our heart races, our breathing changes. We have glucose dumped into our bloodstream. We have we sweat because the brain is like, you're about to get very hot fighting or fleeing, better turn on the cooling. And let's move blood to the arms and the legs. You're going to need it to fight or run. So that's why the gut feels so, ugh, and that's a very scientific word, that one. Uh, we get the, nause, the nausea and we get the digestive problems and 
and of course that's your area of expertise, not mine, but these challenges that we experience in our body when we feel anxious all make so much sense. And so equally we have this huge body response. We use our body to ground ourselves. And so movement, for example, uh, if, if you struggle with anxiety, please move every day. It doesn't have to be anything that is super high intensity or super social, just whatever you enjoy. Go for a walk with the dog, just skip in your own backyard or go and shoot some hoops at the local high school. Just do what you enjoy that, that gets your body moving. And that that's the brain's expecting movement. The brain's expecting you to fight or mm. run. So any movement will help bring that that response to a natural end. Um, another way we can ground our nervous system is is through shaking, is through shaking our arms. And actually, one fellow was doing it. And his ring went flying, so be careful you don't lose anything precious. But and another way is through the breath. We're having this autonomic nervous system response, this sympathetic nervous system response where we're not telling our heart to beat faster. We're not telling these changes to happen. They're happening anyway. What control do we have over that? Well, the one thing we do have control over is our breath. We can't breathe slowly using our diaphragm and lengthening our exhale when we're in the middle of a very threatening situation. So by doing that, we're giving that feedback to the brain and the body to say, hey, I'm safe, I'm okay. And so that they're just a few examples of many. And we don't need 10 strategies. We just need to find one or two, maybe three that work, depending on where we are. You might not want to shake it out when you're um, driving, you know. <laughs> Do you might need something else. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, the physiology and I think for adults listening, no matter who you are, if you are a parent as well, for us to help our kids to understand the way the body responds, the stress response, and so that there's this understanding and it takes a lot of the fear out of it because a lot of what can happen with anxiety is that I feel and panic attacks and, oh, goodness, thank you for sharing that that's been part of your journey. They are it's really hard to describe major depression and it's really hard to describe a panic attack to someone who hasn't been through it. But essentially what happens is we develop these anxious systems, we, um, symptoms, we become very anxious about the anxiety and it drives it up and up and up into a panic attack. And so when we have a good understanding, oh, this is anxiety and that's why I called my podcast, well, hello, anxiety. It's like, hello, you're back. I can tell because my heart is racing. I can tell because my breathing's changed. I recognise you and I know what I need to do next. Mm. It, it's so empowering. It's really empowering. That's really cool. Uh, I've just written down heaps of notes. Um, so my, I often think like Philly and, and it sounds like you too, like come up with like real science, knowledge, bombs all that sort of stuff and I'm I'm like the the caveman version of stuff and and I just really love how simple you just made that like your threat is threats detected you get anxious physiology and where where you you want to run you want to fight you want to just kind of 
freeze or whatever. Um, and so what that looks like is your heart races, like all that stuff you said, like just super, super clear. And then um, I love your I love your um, tips on on how to ground. I think um, some sometimes anxiety just sneaks up on you, doesn't it? It it can happen when you're not expecting it. Like it could be driving, but then I I have a lot of um, uh, examples with people that I talk to at night and it's when they're sleeping. Um, do you have any tips for 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 that, like around sleep and 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 anxiousness? Because then that that loop happens, doesn't it? It's just like, oh, I should be sleeping. Like we talked about this the other day. Mm. Hey, I should yes. be sleeping, and then you're anxious that you're anxious, and it's just this. It's like, <laughs> and you're anxious about how you're not going to be able to perform tomorrow because you're not sleeping, and yeah. then you're like anxious because of like the things that might happen because of that. <laughs> yes, it is. It's such a cycle, and then. Yes, it is. It's um, and and it and that that's something that, when it comes to our thinking, is that worry can be both a cause and a symptom of anxiety. And and often at night, it's like, oh, everything stops, and there's time and there's space, and the brain's like, well, here we go. <laughs> All the things you haven't done or need to do, especially, you know, when there there are uh, lots of balls in the air, different times in people's lives, and. So there's a lot. There are a lot of things that I I can suggest, and and uh, so yeah. So I'm just trying to think where where's a good place to start. I think a really powerful place to start is at the end of your day. Make a note of what you're going to come back to first thing tomorrow. This is if you're a working professional. If you're a, a domestic goddess and you have a million things to do, then I think I just know, not I think, and the research supports this, making a note of what's in our mind and getting it out of our head and onto paper frees up a lot of space. And I also encourage you if you do hop into bed, and this happened to me a couple of nights ago, I'm in the market, if anyone has a recommendation for me, for one of those really beautiful sunrise alarm clocks. And so... I'd like one of those. I've tried lots of alarm clocks because I do not want my phone by my bed at night, but the brightness has been a problem. So I'm just still in the market. So any recommendations, welcome. So I have my phone by my bed for my alarm, which I'm not, a, not super proud of. I don't recommend that, but I'm in the process of that change. However, I remembered something and I just immediately just sent myself a, a text message and then that was gone. I didn't have to think about that anymore. So better to write it down. Try not to be on your phone at night if you can help it. When it comes to our sleeping habits, we do need a wind down. We we expect too much of ourselves. If we're go, 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 driving the kids or whatever it is that you need to do in the evening and then we we might sit down and watch a bit of telly and then we're just like, right, put our head on the pillow and expect to fall asleep straight away. We need to show our body that sleep is coming and we need to take advantage of the the way that our body works in relation to light as well and so when the sun's going down then that's a real signal through our eyes through you know the changes in melatonin for that melatonin to continue to build as it has over the day and so if we've got we've got very bright lights at night we're going to start breaking down that melatonin and you're going to have less of that sleepy hormone to help you to to settle in and aside from that when you wake up in the morning 
bright light straight away, if you can open those curtains, get outside, a little bit of sunshine is a signal to your brain to, to, to break down the rest of the melatonin in your body. And then you are resetting for the start of the day so that you create this really lovely sort of body clock. Regular sleep and wake will help. Uh, one other thing is sleep hygiene in terms of the temperature of your room, darkness, and having a wind down. Please read. Please read something fictional, not nonfiction. If you're a, if you're a knowledge worker and you want to pick up that book just to sort of give you a few extra tips before bed, that will probably just drive you to wake more. So choose a book that's fictional. And the very last thing that I I want to share is this idea that when you are on the pillow. There's so much more I could say. This sleep is just so powerful. It's such a cornerstone of mental health. But when your mind is starting to go to those ideas, those things that you haven't done or need to do, all those worries, we if we can just recognise that our mind has wandered or that we've sort of been hooked, I like to kind of think about this idea of getting hooked and drawn away from the present moment. Thank you, mind, for doing what minds do. Thank you for you know, thanks mind. And then it's just about recognizing you've drifted to that thought and returning your attention back to something that's helpful in that moment. And what I do, it's been really powerful for me, is I start with A in the alphabet and I reflect on what I'm grateful for that day, starting with A. And then I'll go to B. I rarely get past D. One night I tried it with makes and models of cars because I thought I'd try something completely different and see if I could test my memory. I got to, I've skipped a few that I struggled, but it was like awful. So pick something, <laughs> pick something that's relaxing. It was like, oh, it's like a tea or a, I'm like, this is certainly Toyota. Toyota. <laughs> um, Volvo. You know, there's so many. Um, it's quite interesting. But I call it the Grelphabet, the gratitude alphabet. Mm. And it's wow. it's about attention. It's about where is our attention and if our, if our attention keeps wandering to something, we might need to get up and write that down. Uh, if we do need a break, if, we, if we've laid in bed for half an hour, then you could turn your attention to your breath or you could hop up, go somewhere with a dim light, read a book for a little bit longer and uh, sometimes talking books are helpful for people. Sometimes people need something to concentrate on. So... There's so much around sleep when it comes to our mental health and anxiety and it can be just so distressing to lie there awake wishing you were asleep and relaxing. Um, I'd say again, end the struggle and know that if your body is horizontal, your head is on your pillow and you can bring your attention to your breath, you are recharging, you are resting. Sleep will come uh, when we stop forcing it, but easier said than done. Mm. Holy smokes! Wow, you you love the alphabet gratitude, don't you? The <laughs> alphabet. He loves <laughs> acronyms, or I don't know. If that's Far out, <laughs> so good. I love it. It's so good. Thank you so much. As you were talking to, I was thinking about health anxiety as well because a lot of our listeners are dealing with a bunch of health issues. Some are very chronic, like going back mm. decades of symptoms and all sorts of stuff. Um. What are your thoughts around around that? My heart goes out. I've been there. Mm. I know what that is like. I know how sickening it can be to worry 
about your health or the health of someone you love. I, I really probably did need shares in the GP clinic when I became a mum because I was there every week with some minor ailment that I thought was terminal. Mm. But I really in my mind had this whole body and mind belief that that this this is going to end very badly and it's it's a really tough place to come from. So I want to say to your listeners, our listeners today, that it, it's it's really hard. It's very common. And what what I would say, and there's is a lot that we can do to to make a difference. I'll tell you what I did. This was this was before a lot of my extended professional development, but what I did certainly helped. And I'll tell you what I would do if if I were in those shoes that I was once in now. So. What I did was I nominated two people. This is on the advice of my psychologist. I nominated two people who I really trusted that they loved and cared about me and my health, my safety, and were also sensible, realistic, would and not, um, yeah, sensible and realistic, would not ignore something that was really important, but would not overreact on something that, was uh, more on the minor side. And so when I was worried about something to do with one of the kids, one of those was my husband, Peter, and one of those was my friend, Christy. I w- not, not Christy Goodwin, I was who just was also another Christy. I didn't have the pleasure of knowing Christy back then when I was a, a new mum. Christy uh, Goodwin Christy has Goodwin. been on our podcast, by the way. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, she's, she's just, yeah, she's brilliant. Um, yeah, and I would say this is what's happening. This is what I'm concerned about. And what do you think? Mm. And I would, there were a lot of times that prevented a trip to the GP and helped me enough. Uh, But I just didn't have, I didn't have an understanding of my physiology then. I was so caught up in postnatal depression and a lot of other challenges at the time. It was very, very messy and very difficult. What I would do, what I would say now is that when we have a worry, we often try to disprove it. If we're worried that we have a a pain, for example, and we think, oh, goodness, that could be something very serious. So, of course, we want to get checked out. No doubt anyone with health anxiety has had plenty of visits to the GP and maybe a scan or two and and plenty of kind of evidence to suggest that, hey, if there was something to be dealt with, it would be, we'd be underway with that. Mm -hmm. So there is almost that evidence there for a lot of people. But when When it comes back, the pain comes back, the mind can go to that place. And what I would ask your listeners to consider asking themselves is not, is it cancer or is it terminal or is it serious or is it life-threatening or isn't it? The better question and the more helpful question is, is is this helpful, what I'm thinking? And, And perhaps before that you could say, I notice I'm having thought that this pain is going to become something that uh, is life-threatening. Mm. Awareness of what we're thinking, and I know this is deep. We got deep very quickly, so we'll just <laughs> stay there. Um, awareness of what we're thinking when we have anxiety is really tough. We, we very easily get hooked and really swept away by what we're thinking. We go down, we think it, and our whole body reacts as if it's the actual truth in that moment. It's 
really, really hard place to be. Over time, as we bring more mindful moments into our days and we strengthen our mindfulness muscles, our ability to notice when we've been swept away by an unhelpful thought, we can bring our attention back into the present moment. When we've got the skills, which can take time to build, we can say, I notice I'm having the thought that this pain is life-threatening. And what that does is just in that noticing, that observation, I notice I'm having this thought, it, it helps you put a little bit of space between you and the thought that you're having. And then the next part you could say, is this helpful? And sometimes it is helpful. Sometimes we could go, I notice a mole on my arm has changed. I'm having the thought that that could be a melanoma. Mm. Well, I should go and get that checked. Absolutely. Absolutely. But when it comes to anxiety, so much of what we think is not helpful. We ask ourselves, is it helpful? No. What would be helpful? Bring my attention back to what I was doing before my mind wandered. And that doesn't take away that that stomach dropping, sickening, clammy kind of feeling that can come over us when we have these worrying thoughts. It's quite, on the face of it, it's quite extraordinary that we can have a thought and it can trigger so much change. It's quite interesting. But it's not much fun when you're in it. And so you can have that response and having a willingness to go, I'm feeling very anxious about this, but I'm willing to notice and observe that I'm feeling this way and ground myself knowing that it will pass. There, there are a lot of steps I suppose I shared and listeners can go back and, and, and listen, but certainly if your health anxiety is driving frequent, sickening, anxious responses, I really would like to see those listeners with some professional help along the way and you know, and for, for me, I couldn't get space. I, I could not get space. OCD and generalised anxiety have been very much a part of my history. I only took medication after our second child was born. I guess I kept thinking I could manage it myself in the same way that Perhaps if you had diabetes, you'd think I can just I can just think my way around these blood sugar challenges. And eventually, Peter, my husband, he said to me, "I remember I'm looking where we we were. I distinctly remember exactly where I was because it was very hard for him. Multiple, multiple phone calls every day, seeking reassurance and sharing anxious worries. And he said, "I know you're working so hard. I know how hard you're working. I know how 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 hard you're." trying he said I just want to ask you whether or not you consider trying something for your anxiety not for you but for the rest of the family Mm. and it was the first time in a long time I got an understanding of how much what how I was living and operating was impacting everyone and I immediately thought wow I could probably parent a lot differently and the medication, what that's done, because it doesn't get rid of your anxiety. We never get rid of it. We need it. It's protective. It's helpful in lots of ways. But it gives me enough space between my experience. Plus, I'm obviously very skilled now because of what I do for a living <laughs> and my passion for this. But it 
it's just given me that space to be able to draw on a strategy, have a little bit of space to just think rather than just getting swept down a raging torrent of a river with no chance of ever getting to the to the bank. Mm. And so I share I share these ideas, but depends on where you are in your anxiety journey as to how readily you're able to put them into practice. And I certainly recommend um, if anxiety is a problem, if it's a challenge, if it's a, it's so much help and there's so much that we can do to make a really, really meaningful difference. Mm. Wow. What a conversation. This has been awesome. I've, I've really enjoyed our time together. It's been really good. Did you, did you have any questions you wanted to, or things you wanted to close with Philly? Um. A couple of things, actually. There was something that you were saying. You said, it's, isn't it interesting or fascinating that we can have a thought and we can have this physiological reaction to it? I also think about like neuroscience and how the brain controls pain as well, depending on if we're feeling like we're in danger um, or threatened. And so something that we also teach our clients as well when they're experiencing these like... <gasps> whether it's a real symptom or a worry around their body is will anchor in feelings of safety as well. And it reminded me of the gratitude alphabet as well. It's like, hey, maybe that is enough to anchor that in to create a new sensation in your body. Yes. Yes. I love that you've come to this. And the, the idea of feeling at home in our body in our nervous system, that's a very foreign idea for a lot of people. But we can repair our nervous system. We can obviously, you know, again, we're, we're singing from the same hymn book as they say. But, yes, and and if you can't do that for yourself, somebody else can do that with you. And you can, there are, as, as you just suggested, there are, there are ways that we can do that for ourselves but other times... We might need that co-regulation. Yeah. We are, we are in, in our nervous system. We are built to connect. And if somebody around us, and I'm so thankful I've got Pete, because he's been a pretty Pete means the rock, and you know he's been my rock, and he's been able to share his calm. If you have a pet, it's a really beautiful thing to do. Mm. We don't have to stop what we're feeling, but we can allow ourselves to experience it and in the company of a pet or a person or an opportunity to feel more psychological safe and more more at home in ourselves then the more we can train ourselves to experience that the more we can shift ourselves from one nervous system state to another um which is probably a conversation for another time but yes yes it's really important it's really important yeah. so I'm really glad you raised it Philly um okay one last question because yes. we know that you love working with parents and children and teenagers and you were talking about co-regulation. So parents are the biggest co-regulators for their children. Yeah. What are you, what, why do you love working with parents and children? And for any parents who are listening, what, what advice would you have for them if they're noticing that their, their kids and teenagers are experiencing anxiety? Thank you for this question. I love it because I know the difference it can make when we have more understanding. I know what I went through 
as an anxious kid and teen and young adult with no knowledge, no understanding, and just this feeling that I'm broken, there's something wrong with me. And it's not a very nice place to live from. And so I I feel so passionate about the opportunities, particularly when I work with parents, because parents are the greatest influence on their children's mental health. We have so many opportunities. We have opportunities, you know, a plethora of them every day to make a really meaningful difference just in little in little moments. It's not all in one. It's not about sort of the fire hose of information for them, but the opportunity parents have to make a really big difference for their children's mental health and their understanding of stress and anxiety is profound. So that's very exciting for me. And um, when I work with children, I speak with groups of year 11 and 12 students. And so that's the only work I do directly with young people. And that's all around understanding their physiology and just really making sure that they know that it's it's nothing to be afraid of when we get anxious. We get anxious around the things we care about. If we didn't care, there'd be no anxiety. It's like there's no anxiety for my children to empty the bins because, you know, it's not important. And, yes, and so what would I love parents to know? I want you to know as parents that it's a bigger issue than it's ever been, that if you are noticing that your child is experiencing anxiety, what a gift that you've noticed because it's a first step to getting to change, I suppose, and to to supporting them, even though it can be frightening to think, my child is feeling anxious or experiencing anxiety, what might this lead to? Especially because if we have an anxious child, often we as the parent struggle with anxiety as well. So we can have that catastrophic thinking. What I want you to know as a parent is that there, you don't have to do it all at once, but as you learn yourself about understanding, uh, sorry, learn yourself about anxiety, the nervous system, how things operate, we've shared a lot today, what you can do and how to really talk to and empower your kids, then the change that can come about can be profound. So there's so much hope and opportunity. And despite the fact that it can be frightening, if you have noticed anxiety in your child's life, it really is such a gift. What a gift that would have been for me as a little one to have an adult in my life say, I know exactly what's happening and I'm going to work with you. Let's find out what to do. So had that happened though, we may not be here talking today. I think I had to go through the mess to have a message. Yeah. But um that's that's a that's I guess that the the biggest and best thing I can share in the time that we've got for, for parents who are listening. Yeah. And you've got a new course coming out. I do. Hello. I do. Well, hello school anxiety program. Did you want to yes. chat to the listeners listeners about that and also how they can get in touch with you if they want to oh. learn more about what you do? Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm I'm super excited because uh, starting 16th of Jan 2024, I have a live online four-week course for parents for any child kinder uh, kindergarten primary school or secondary school with anxiety related to school and that can be transitions it can be changing campuses it can be separating it can be friendships it can be academics it can be changing schools lots of things Uh, and so I'm really I can't wait because up until now 
my contact with parents has been as a speaker, speaking to large groups of parents in schools or in organisations. This way, it's me and the parents who join the course to work together over four weeks to really make a difference in their family. So yes, if you'd like to know more, just head to my website, drjodyrichardson.com and it's Jody with an I, D-R-J-D with an I, richardson.com. So yeah, thank you. Thanks for giving me a chance to share that with your listeners. So cool. Love it. Thank you so much. I didn't know if if you were going to talk or if I was going to talk. We're like. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. Thank you so much for Um, for joining us today, Uh, Jodie. It's been so good. I have three pages of notes. Um, (laughs) So I I look forward to listening to this one again and absorbing some more stuff. But but thank you so much for for coming on and thank you listeners for for joining us. Until next time, catch us later. Have the best day ever. Thank you so much for listening. We so appreciate you. If you'd like to give us extra smiles, drop us a review and spread the love by sharing this episode. You can also rate your own state of burnout and the root cause contributors by taking our Ending Body Burnout Assessment on our website. And if you're interested in learning about our group or one-on-one Ending Body Burnout programs, shoot us a DM via Instagram or Facebook. Have Have the the best best day day ever. ever.